Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever or whomever. So it's funny, back in the day I used to be in the habit of regularly reading listener feedback and reviews on the show, but I just fell out of the habit. And then recently I was just curious, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what my Apple podcast rating is, I wonder if anyone's left any reviews recently, and so I'm not doing too bad, it's a five-star rating system. For years, I was at 4.5 stars. Now I'm down to 4.2 stars. Not horrible, but hey, if anyone wants to leave a good review, (laughs) only if you're sincere about it. But anyway, um, I noticed someone left a review. They left me a one-star review. And here's what they wrote. The review is entitled Grammar Mistake. And this was back on June 11th uh, of this year. Yeah, one star, your slogan should read for atheists, agnostics, and whomever, not whoever. Please change that and I'll give you five stars. Thanks. And to be honest, I'm not really mad at the person. In retrospect, I think it's kind of funny. But of course, at first, I was kind of like, really? Maybe the only thing I kind of take exception at is that I think deducting four stars for a grammar mistake is pretty brutal or heavy-handed, but technically they're right. And, you know, I like to think of myself as being at least a fairly intelligent human being, but there's certain grammar traps that I fall into that I think a lot of people do, like when to use lie or lay or whomever versus whoever. But yeah, uh, they're right. Whomever, I believe, is an objective pronoun, and whoever is a subjective pronoun. And so it should technically be a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whomever. And then I'm like, do I really want to go back and change, uh, change the artwork for the podcast, you know, going in and retyping the tagline? And on the other hand, I have a graphic design degree, and I haven't been happy with the artwork I came up with for the show for a while now and have been wanting to change it, so maybe that would be a good excuse. But then I'm like, I don't know, even if it's technically right, for whomever sounds kind of, I don't know, sounds kind of too formal or stuffy. But then on the other hand, how many hands do I have? I, um like a uh, Hindu goddess over here. I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like putting bad information out there and I'm a stickler for trying to be factual and get things right. So I don't know what I'm going to do. You guys let me know what you think. Should it stay whoever or should I change it to whomever? But enough about that. Let's move on to the first news story. So this one involves reporter Lara Logan. Uh, almost stumbled over that uh, alliteration. But uh, she was recently on, I think, Eric Bowling's uh, Newsmax show. And I remember Eric Bowling from Fox News. Let's just say not a big fan of the guy. But um, yeah, and she said a bunch of stuff about God and the devil and kind of wax conspiratorial. And I think she actually ended up being banned from Newsmax because of it. But, you know, since she's kind of going off on a religious streak, I figured I'd uh, play it and react to it. Uh, So here's the clip. 
Oh, and just for some context, they were talking about immigration, and that's what led into all this. It's right out of, it's right out of the playbook. The right out of the socialist playbook. You divide and conquer, you don't tell yep. them your intent. You get people to come in, you got your useful idiots. Those of us who are paying lie for these people to have lie. all these luxuries, and they lie yep. about it. Yeah. How's it end? Well, badly. It, end? <laughs> it ends badly for some. Um, okay, so on a serious note, um, you know, people of all faiths have said to me that this is a spiritual battle. I am a firm and solid and immovable believer in God, and I believe that God wins. I believe that good is greater than evil, and I believe that the fallen angel, otherwise known as Satan, doesn't get to prevail in this world. So um, if you follow the Bible or if you follow the Quran or you follow uh, the Book of Mormon, you know, people talk in various different ways about the end times. And if you fight for God, God will fight for you. But people, final, humanity... Final thought, Lara, what... Final thought, though. I have to, I have to ask you this because my, my audience is, is very God-fearing, God-loving, etc. Final thought. I only a couple of seconds, please. Um, does, is God okay with a closed border? It's much bigger than that. God believes that in, in sovereignty and national identity and the sanctity of family and all the things that we've lived with from the beginning of time. And he knows that the open border is Satan's way of taking control of the world through all of these uh, people who are his stooges and his, and his uh, servants. And they may think that they're going to become gods. That's what they tell us, Yuval Noah Harari and, and all the rest of them at the World Economic Forum. You know, the ones who want us eating insects, cockroaches and that while they dine uh, on the blood of children. <laughs> yeah. Those are the people, right? They're not yeah. going to win. We they're not going to win. Well. And is it just me, or did even Eric Bowling kind of sound like, whoa, what the hell's going on here, you know? Or maybe it was just because he was pressed for time. But she refers to immigration as a spiritual battle. Uh, and Eric Bowling asks, is, it, is God okay with a closed border? And uh, she says uh, she believes open borders are Satan's way of controlling the world. And then she goes into how the, you know, the elites want the plebs eating insects while they died on the blood of children. And from what I've read, it seems that's where Newsmax drew the line at that dining on the blood of children comment. And that's what made them decide not to have her on anymore. Yeah, here's a Business Insider headline. Newsmax cuts ties with Laura Logan after her QAnon-inspired on-air rant about world leaders drinking the blood of children and making people eat insects. And so often these crazy-sounding conspiracy theories will have, you know, a little grain of truth to them. I think the thing about, you know, drinking the blood of children is complete BS. But the thing about the insects, that probably comes from the fact that some people have proposed that eating insects or certain insects could provide an alternative, sustainable, environmentally friendly food source, uh, you know, and that they're full of protein, etc. Um, I myself uh, don't plan on eating insects anytime soon, even though I'm someone who's, you know, made a lot of changes or retooled their diet for both uh, health and ethical reasons. I don't necessarily have the same level of ethical concern for insects that I do for higher animals, even though my empathy for them is still there. 
somewhat, and I'm the type of person that'll go out of my way not to kill an insect. Uh, I'll scoop them up and take them out of the house. Or if I see a, an insect on the asphalt, I'll sometimes scoop it up and put it in the grass or on a leaf just so it doesn't scorch in the sun or, um, or get run over by a car. But my main issue with eating bugs is just that I personally think it's gross. And it's kind of a cultural relativism type of thing where um, there's lots of places around the world where insects have been eaten for, you know, forever. And uh, if it could potentially help the planet and other people are into it, hey, I'm not going to stop you from eating insects. But yeah, of course, the conspiracy theorists twist it and make it sound like the evil elites are going to be jamming handfuls of grasshoppers in your mouth or something, you know, when it's being proposed as one potential way to help the environment or the planet or as a potential, uh, you know, alternative food source. Personally, I'm not going to lose any sleep worrying that the government or the New World Order is going to make us play Fear Factor and eat cockroaches or whatever she said. But yeah, Laura Logan, man, over the past few years, she's just been becoming more and more sounding more and more unhinged. Um, kind of, you know, leaning more conspiratorial, etc. And it's weird because for a very long time, uh, she was a very well-respected journalist. Uh, I believe she was uh, the CBS News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent. Um, just looking at my notes, yeah, from 2006 to 2018. And yeah, she was a, a serious journalist, well-respected journalist, and something very awful happened to her in 2011. And it's one of those stories that was just so disturbing that it really stuck with me. So yeah, back in 2011, she was covering the Egyptian revolution. And um, there, was the, uh, there was this big celebration following the resignation of Hosni Mubarak uh, in Tahrir Square. And she was there covering that. And yeah, she was beaten and sexually assaulted. Um, and I don't mean to trigger anyone. I know this is really tough stuff to talk about. And so I'm going to try not to get too graphic. But yeah, it was awful. There was this giant crowd of men. And she thinks that the incident could have involved anywhere from 200 to 300 men, and it lasted around 25 minutes. Just people grabbing her, groping her uh, nonstop. And I think finally, some women, Muslim women, interfered and came to her aid. They put their arms around her, uh, closed ranks around her. Uh, there were men who literally threw water at the uh, crowd that was continuing to try to assault her. Just an unspeakably awful incident. I mean, I still feel for her so much that even when she spouts this kind of conspiratorial nonsense, um, I don't really go off on her. And this is the first time I've mentioned her regarding any of this kind of behavior, uh, you know, saying this kind of stuff on the show. And I've wondered to myself... Uh, numerous times, if going through that kind of traumatic experience, if maybe that changed her in, in some way, and maybe she's still wrestling with the 
mental and emotional scars from that. And that has something to do with her, you know, gravitating to these more extreme beliefs or views. On the other hand, you know, there's victims of assault that don't, you know, become unhinged in this manner or embrace these kind of um, views. Also, there's plenty of conspiracy theorists out there who've probably never had anything nearly that awful happen to them. So I don't know if that inc- that horrible incident does have anything to do with her current mental and emotional state or her gravitating towards these fringe views. Uh, and I feel kind of self-conscious even thinking about it out loud on the show because what happened to her is, you know, so serious. And I don't it's probably not my place to, to play armchair psychologist here. But her comments were so bizarre and out there and littered with religious thinking, stuff about God and Satan, that I thought it fell within the wheelhouse of the show and I'd cover it. Yeah, it's probably not a good sign when your views are so extreme, even Newsmax feels they have to give you the boot. But next up, we have Jordan Peterson. Uh, I noticed one of his videos show up in my YouTube feed, and it was entitled Star Wars and Atheist Nerds. I was like, whoa. More and more, he likes to take those little pot shots at atheists. I I take your reading of Christianity to be, for example, compatible with Star Wars, um, in the sense that Luke Skywalker is a very quirky odd guy, you know, in the middle of this random planet. Of course. Who's, who's, you know, I mean, just as weird and odd as a, as a carpenter in Galloway, right? You know, and yet he is the embodiment of this kind of eternal spiritual thing, you know, and that's, and that's, and that's where you get that, that kind of melding together. Right. In Star Wars, we, we should just look at it historically. Star Wars, George Lucas, Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, because all of Campbell's thinking was, was Jungian thinking, all of it. And The Hero with a Thousand Faces is a great book, especially as an introduction to that kind of literature. But yes, yeah, Star Wars is Christianity for atheist nerds. Yes, yes. Fundamentally, yeah. Yes, and you yeah. can't get rid of that. You can, there's no getting rid of that, right? If you throw it out in one direction, it comes back in another. And that's something we should talk about too. And just for some context... This was an official Jordan Peterson clip, but it was a small excerpt, maybe about 10 minutes long, from a longer interview uh, he did. And I have no idea who that guy was he was talking to or interviewing. But the guy kind of surprised me because I figured maybe he'd be on the same page as Peterson. But he says near the end of that clip, if you listen to it in its entirety that he's an agnostic, he doesn't necessarily believe in um, concrete concepts of good and evil, and he has more of an evolutionary view of things. And to be fair, Jordan Peterson embraces evolution as well. He incorporates evolutionary theory into his lectures, etc., Uh, Many of us are probably familiar with his lobster serotonin spiel. I'm not suggesting that there might not be something to that. It's just kind of funny, you know, the whole lobster thing and it became a meme. And even though I don't think he himself is a practicing Christian um, and he comes at it more from a kind of symbolic approach, Uh, He's nevertheless kind of made himself strangely the standard bearer or defender of Christianity. 
But yeah, he says Star Wars is Christianity for atheist nerds. And if I was going to be charitable, you know, I might say, well, maybe he doesn't mean Star Wars is literally Christian and nature or chock full of Christian symbolism or Christian and its essence. Um, maybe it's just his cheeky way of saying Star Wars provides a kind of spiritual narrative to its secular fans. And I should say quickly before I forget, they only really talk about Star Wars for that brief moment in that little piece of the clip I play, so like the first two minutes. But after that, they do go on to talk about the power and importance of narrative, etc. But yeah, if that was the point he was trying to make, that Star Wars offers a kind of spirituality uh, to its secular fans, then I would probably concede that there's probably some truth there. And that, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think you can be a secular person and still enjoy the power of stories, the inspirational power of narrative, of um, the myths of old, etc. And I think there's probably a lot of people like myself who embrace science, secularism, etc., but we find things like Star Wars inspirational or spiritually moving. And I probably shouldn't even have to say this, but it's not just secular types and atheists who enjoy Star Wars or sci-fi. Um, there's actually a, a Catholic priest on YouTube. I, I forget his name at the moment, uh, but a really nice, humble guy, uh, probably like a middle-aged priest. Um, and he does, uh, he does kind of TV and movie reviews, especially uh, things like uh, Star Wars shows like The Mandalorian, etc. And, uh, you know, just a cool guy. And you can tell he really, uh, he's just a sci-fi fan. And um, he will sometimes try to find kind of Christian messages or biblical messages here and there in, in the uh, stories he's reviewing. Uh, which I don't mind. But yeah, you can be a Christian and like Star Wars or like sci-fi. You can be an agnostic. You can be uh, a nun, not N-U-N, but they can like sci-fi too. But I mean N-O-N-E, someone who's kind of spiritual but doesn't go in for any uh, organi you know, specific organized religion. I think it's just Peterson trying to play, you know, gotcha with atheists as usual. Oh, those, those atheists, you know, they think they're secular, but they're getting their, uh, but then they're being hypocritical and turning to fantasy stories to get their uh, Christian fix without even realizing it, you know? And he brings up Joseph Campbell, which makes a lot of sense when you're discussing Star Wars. And I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan. I've read The Hero with a Thousand Faces. I've watched the PBS series, The Power of Myth, where Campbell sat down and was interviewed by um, PBS's Bill Moyers. I've watched that thing over and over again. And it's true, George Lucas, uh, as I was just, you know, alluding to was heavily influenced by Campbell and they became friends and that interview he did with uh, Moyers was even filmed at Lucas's Skywalker Ranch and once again Peterson 
refers to Star Wars as Christianity for atheist nerds, but I don't think Campbell had any particular Christian fixation. He was fascinated by the myths of the world, and he did have, uh, you know, in the power and symbolism they contained, and he did Uh, in fairness, have a Jungian approach, and he looked for the universal elements and the archetypes within the world's myths. And the original three Star Wars movies were more of a hero's journey tale, with Luke being the archetypal young hero called to adventure. I've never seen the original movies as a Christian allegory or being chock full of Christian symbolism. It is true if you expand the scope to include the prequels, Anakin is kind of this Christ-like figure, at first at least, then eventually becomes satanic and is eventually redeemed and you could say that's kind of christian but yeah kind of a christ-like figure in the sense that he's a gifted child born of an immaculate conception said to be the chosen one etc but i've never really viewed luke as particularly christ-like he's more as i said the um the archetype of the uh of the traditional hero who receives the call to adventure in fact, the original Star Wars movies were, you know, heavily influenced or inspired by Eastern spirituality and culture. Lucas was a big fan of Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa, and I believe Kurosawa's 1958 film, uh, Hidden Fortress, or The Hidden Fortress, in particular, was a huge influence on Star Wars. Um, And then also the Jedi are kind of like samurai, and the the Force is impersonal. It's not like a personal god or like the the god of the Bible. It's almost like, or a lot like, the concept of spiritual oneness you find in Eastern religion, in Buddhism and Taoism, etc., So maybe you could say Star Wars is Buddhism for atheist nerds, or it's it's an archetypal hero tale for atheist nerds. And and as an atheist nerd, you know, hey, (laughs) once again, nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with finding power and inspiration in stories and symbolism. Okay, on to the next story. I was going to call this this week's uh, science story, but it also falls into the category of religion. It's from Live Science. It's by someone named Stephanie Pappas, and it's entitled, How Much Does the Soul Weigh? Legend has it that a person's soul weighs 21 grams. Is there any truth to it? And so you can probably see where this is headed. Uh, We've probably all heard of that story about a scientific experiment uh, conducted a long time ago where the researcher set out to uh, discover the weight of the soul by weighing uh, a body before death and then after death. Uh, And so this story is going to delve into that. An everlasting soul is a powerful concept. It's the central feature of many religions and a deeply comforting belief in the face of loss. 
Perhaps that's why some have been dissatisfied with leaving matters of the soul to faith, instead turning to science in attempts to prove the soul exists. If you've ever heard that the soul weighs 21 grams, or seen the 2003 film 21 grams alluding to this fact, you've heard the results of one of these rather unusual experiments. And so I've never heard of that movie. I wonder if it's any good. Maybe I'll uh, look it up. Anyway, it continues. So how much does the soul really weigh? Well, the bad news is that, of course, no one can say. Science can't prove that the soul exists, and scientists can't weigh in. But the bizarre story of one doctor's attempt to do just that is worth hanging around for. And so I might actually disagree a little with the author here. I personally lean towards the scientific materialist uh, view of things, and I tend to think that consciousness is most likely an emergent property of the brain. Um, but I try to remain open-minded, and let's just say for the sake of argument that an immortal soul does exist or consciousness can somehow survive death. Um, I think perhaps, you know, if, and that's a big if, if that is the case, that maybe science could eventually be able to prove that somehow. But once again, it continues, The story starts at the turn of the last century in Dorchester, a neighborhood in Boston. And so I know Dorchester all too well, or as we say around these parts, Dorchester. <laughs> and uh, at least parts of it are considered very kind of rough and, uh, you know, a, a kind of neighborhood you might not want to uh, wander into unprepared. But it continues, a reputable physician named Duncan McDougall had a bee in his bonnet. If humans had souls, he thought, those souls must take up space. And if souls take up space, well, they must weigh something, right? I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that premise, but anyway, weighing the soul. There was just one way to find out, McDougall reasoned. And here's a quote, since the substance considered in our hypothesis is linked organically with the body until death takes place, it appears to me more reasonable to think that it must be some form of gravitative matter and therefore capable of being detected at death by weighing a human being in the act of death. He wrote in the scientific paper he would eventually publish in 1907 about this effort. McDougall teamed up with Dorchester's Consumptives Home, a charitable hospital for late-stage tuberculosis, which at the time was incurable. McDougall built a large scale, capable of holding a cot and a dying tuberculosis patient. Tuberculosis was a convenient disease for this experiment. McDougall explained in his paper, because patients died in quote-unquote great exhaustion and without any movement that would jiggle his scale. I don't know why jiggle his scale sounds like some kind of innuendo or euphemism. McDougall's first patient, a man, died on April 10th, 1901, with a sudden drop in the scale of 0.75 ounces, or 21.2 grams, and in that moment the legend was born. It didn't matter much that McDougall's next patient lost 0.5 ounces or 14 grams 15 minutes after he stopped breathing 
or that his third case showed an inexplicable two-step loss of 0.5 ounces and then 1 ounce, 28.3 grams a minute later. McDougall threw out case 4, a woman dying of diabetes, because the scale wasn't well calibrated, in part due to a quote-unquote good deal of interference by people opposed to our work, which raises a few questions that McDougall did not seem eager to answer in his write-up. Case 5 lost 0.375 ounces, or 10.6 grams, but the scale malfunctioned afterward, raising questions about those numbers too. Case 6 got thrown out because the patient died while McDougall was still adjusting his scale. McDougall then repeated the experiments on 15 dogs and found no loss of weight. Uh, I wonder how those dogs died. Uh, don't like to think about it. Um, indicating to his mind that all dogs definitely do not go to heaven. Uh, so there's the author's sense of humor at work, I guess. Um, but I, you know, I, it's a very cold, uh, kind of, um, assumption. Even though I'm someone who doubts the existence of an immortal soul, um, still, I think if humans get to have a soul, I think it's only fair that dogs and other animals do as well, you know, or that animals are so alive and especially higher mammals, they seem so aware, so emotionally alive. Um, they share much of our same anatomy, uh, including our nervous system, that if a human being could somehow produce or possess consciousness that could that could survive death, why not? other animals. And I always, uh, I always find it rather cold or off-putting, uh, when someone suggests that humans, uh, possess a soul, but animals don't. But of course, technically we are animals, but, uh, continuing here, McDougall reported his results in 1907 in the journal American Medicine and the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research. He also snagged a write-up in the New York Times. And then the last part of the article is entitled Unanswerable Questions. McDougall's study had a minuscule sample size, and his results were all over the place. So even at the time, it cast the notion that he measured the soul into serious doubt. To McDougall's credit, he admitted that more measurements were needed to confirm the soul had weight. That hasn't happened in part for ethical reasons, and in part because the experiments are a bit kooky. A rancher in Aragon... I almost said Aragon? Aragorn? Aragorn is, uh, is Strider from The Lord of the Rings, right? Anyway, um, a rancher in, Arag in, in Oregon... Uh, okay, I'll be all right, did attempt to replicate the soul-weighing experiment with a dozen sheep in early 2000. And once again, how, you know, were these animals killed solely for the sake of this experiment? I personally think it would be way more ethical to find people who actually want to take part, maybe people who you know, are near the end and are terminally ill uh, in hospice or whatever, and who agree, you know, who want to take part in this, uh, that would be way more ethical than slaying innocent animals and, you know, <laughs> so you can weigh them before and after or whatever. I don't know. Uh, if the animals were being killed 
anyway for some reason than I could see it. But as someone who, I don't want to get into it, but as someone who has a kind of strong vegan leanings, I don't like the idea of animals uh, being killed for food either. Even though I myself, I mentioned earlier in the show, I've made a lot of changes to my diet, but my kind of loophole is I will sometimes eat meat or dairy if, you know, I'm at a party or something and someone offers it to me, but I don't pay for meat with my own money. And that's kind of my way of trying to, you know, contribute to the cause by refusing to use my own money to purchase meat. But it's still, you know, I know it's a very ethically questionable loophole I'm employing there. But let's start again. A rancher in, and I think I said Oregon earlier, and uh, I forget which one it was, but a, um, a friend or listener corrected me and said it's Oregon, not Oregon. So a rancher in Oregon did attempt to replicate the soul weighing experiment with a dozen sheep in early 2000. According to Mary Roach's book, Spook, Science Tackles the Afterlife. Most gained between 1 and 7 ounces, 30 to 200 grams, though the gains lasted just a few seconds before the sheep returned to their original weights. Roach also reported that Dr. Jerry Naham, I think it is, um, N-A-H-U-M, have no idea. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry, Dr. Uh, Jerry, a chemical engineer and physician who was at the Duke University School of Medicine at the time, had developed a hypothesis that the soul, or at least the consciousness, must be associated with information, which is equivalent to a certain amount of energy. Because the equation, E equals MC squared, dictates that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Thanks, Einstein. This energy could essentially be weighed with sensitive enough electromagnetic instruments. As of 2007, Naham had not gotten funding for experiments that would prove whether he was right. He now works for Bayer Pharmaceuticals. Roach wrote that Naham did not hope to pull a McDougal and do his tests on humans. Instead, he was considering leeches as subjects. Leeches, not nearly as bad as experimenting on sheeps and dogs and sheeps, plural? Sheep, in my opinion, at least. Um, let's see. The bottom line is that science has not remotely determined the weight of the soul, nor whether the soul exists at all. Chances are this question will be left to the religious realm. But like I was saying earlier, I think that's a story that most of us have probably heard of at some point. So I thought it was interesting to kind of delve in and learn a bit more about it. Um, but on that note, I'm going to call this episode a wrap. As always, thank you for listening, everyone. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. Um, you can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, which is always greatly appreciated, believe me, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.